This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes, back in his co-host chair from Madison, Wisconsin. That's Rotowire headquarters, folks, and uh, AJ does a lot of work in that in that space, and it's still ongoing as uh, the games have begun now, and that's what we're really happy about, partner. Uh, the games have started, and there's been no issue with the, with uh, new COVID cases among the players and related team officials in in the first week of play. Are you surprised by that outcome, and do you expect it to continue? You know, I'm really not. I mean, the you know a lot of guys ahead of time talked about the fact that they're you know sacrificing being around their families to go into these bubbles and stuff. And so, why would you make that sacrifice to go into the bubble and then to like break quarantine for something silly like it it just doesn't make sense to go through all the effort to be inside a bubble like they've been doing and then break that you know to to mess it all up honestly and so for me I'm, I'm not surprised that they've had um you know good numbers we saw just yesterday you know over seven thousand tests conducted over the last week no positive hits and you know they they've showed they've been really proactive with it tuka rask um apparently the nhl has like an app tuka rask reported that he uh had a cough reported that through the app they held him out of practice he had to take two tests um both had to come back negative before he was allowed to rejoin the team so it seems like they have a really good system in place that's that's working really well and uh yeah so i i'm encouraged by that and and i think we're gonna get this whole thing uh, wrapped up uh you know at in early october and isn't it great that we can watch from like 12 30 or one o'clock in the afternoon all the way till one o'clock in the morning if for a hockey junkie like you and me this is nirvana this is unbelievable but there's been <laughs> some been some early surprises aj particularly among the usage of goalies uh, early on where the presumptive starter has been overlooked in in favor of the backups and and we've had at least a few of those circumstances we have we have uh, henrik lundquist over a couple of youngsters in new york to me gave him the game one start it didn't go well but he goes in and plays a second one too then you got uh, las vegas with flurry uh, taking a backseat to robin leonard and there's a couple others too aj so uh what uh, spell out the other ones too first of all and then tell me what do you think why why is this happening yeah i mean the the other ones that that we saw were in, you know in calgary cam talbot getting the start over riddich which, uh, you know, and, and Alex Stalock going in over Devin Dubnik. Now, in those last two situations, you know, they had kind of had some some good games right before the break, you know. And so, um, you know, Dean Evanson, uh, the coach in Minnesota, even said, you know, it was Stalock's job to lose um, because he had played better in the lead up to the break. And, and I think the same can be said of Cam Talbot. Um, so I think that's why we saw it in those. It, not that it's 
still wasn't surprising, obviously. Um, Pittsburgh went the opposite way, right? The Jari had been playing better, and they went back to, to Murray for the, the first two games here. And so um, definitely interesting. I think, you know, obviously something's not right with Shesterkin. Um, it looked like he was going to play, as, as you said, and, the, and then he doesn't. Um, Leonard over Flurry was a little bit uh, confusing to me. It, it could be simply letting Mark Andre continue to, to rest up and, and be ready to go for a deep run here. But um, I'm not sold if, if that's the story that they're selling. I, I haven't heard anything on, on why, but um, that was probably the most surprising one to me. Yeah, I'm opting for the New York situation. Lundquist, okay, give him game one. But it didn't go well, so you have an opportunity to pivot from there, and you have two choices to go uh, elsewhere. And I think they should have made the switch uh, to give the players something else of a different feel. Uh, but but after two games in that series, I think that, that the Rangers are in deep, deep trouble. And uh, maybe their bags, bags are packed, and a lot of the guys want out of there. Who knows? But, but they're not playing like a very motivated team that wants to stay. And that's just the most curious decision for me. But uh, Staylock, I agree with you. That's the least surprising because he actually outplayed Dubnik on the season, so I can live with that. But the other, the other three in some, I, I'm not buying them. And uh, I, I think in, in a short uh, opening, they've got to get reps to their starters. The games are spaced out well enough. They're not traveling, so fatigue can't be an issue, AJ. I can't, I can't explain these, these situations, and uh, I wish we could get an explanation for some, from some of those. It's a mystery, and it it's, plays havoc with your trying to make your picks for DFS, too. You've got to watch right up to the starting uh, face-off, almost, uh, in those circumstances. And as always, we remind, we remind people that the best place to do that is to, to look up the, the work, the fine work that you and, and your colleagues do at the head office in terms of those starting lineups and starting goalie situations. So uh, we'll be full of a few of those reminders today because we're back to uh, a Rotowire uh, FanDuel segment later today, which I'm also excited about. But uh, before we go there, AJ, we have to take a look at the games that have taken place. Um, why don't you take us through what's happened in the West Round Robin? There have been two games played there, and any observations from those games? Yeah, before before we dive into that, uh, I will just do uh, you know my weekly reminder for sure. listeners that throughout the week, if you have questions about your lineups, um, you know DFS lineups, uh, you know fantasy hockey, hockey in general, tweet at us. We'll try and answer those questions. Uh, for you as paul mentioned off the top you can follow me at aj Scholes 24 and you can follow paul the statsman at statsman 22 look as you said uh games have started it is very strange when we go into days like yesterday where we have this mix of like games that matter and that games that don't like i i understand there's like a, a seeding thing going on and so those games aren't completely pointless <laughs> in terms of the round robin um but they certainly don't matter in the same way that that's some of the other ones today we have all games that matter so it'll be a fun day of hockey but yeah as you said in in the west um we've you know got colorado uh beat out uh st louis and then vegas wins kind of that shootout with dallas um you know kind of the the most interesting thing for me uh you know is the goalie battle for that that colorado st louis matchup i i think um, I expected that out of the Blues with, with Jordan Bennington. I'm not sure I expected that from Colorado necessarily in, in terms of their met, net mining. And then on the flip side, when you have Ben Bishop and Robin Leonard going, uh, you would have expected maybe less goals. You know, I, I could have easily been convinced that these two scores would have been flipped, uh, if I'm being perfectly honest. So right now, Colorado in, in the driver's seat in terms of first place. Um, but there's two more games for everybody to play, and, and we'll see how that goes. Well, and AJ, there were some interesting highlights from both games to me. In Colorado's victory, of course, the buzzer beater fe featuring Nazem Kadri tapping a puck into an open goal uh, that was vacated by Bennington after he was a little out of position on, on the previous sequence, uh, having to make a play. So he capitalized with one-tenth of a second there to produce the winner. And the Vegas-Dallas game is part of a theme that I want to address today with when we look at some of the other series in terms of teams that... Uh, 
assume their preferred style of play. Dallas is a button-down type of team that doesn't allow a lot of shots usually, but they surrendered 32 in that game, and they also surrendered a lead, which is very rare for them. That's, but that's because of Vegas's relentless style of play, and, and the Golden Knights came back with a flurry of four goals in that period, the last of which was an empty netter, of course, but... Uh, I was curious to see how Vegas really was able to impose their will and their style of play over uh, the button-down nature of the Dallas uh, team in, in that one. Uh, of course, the other series, you can also make the case, Colorado bucked the trend. They're an offensive-minded team, and they outplayed St. Louis, basically, if you want to go by that narrow margin, to get the win in a game that was more suited to St. Louis's style of play. So a bit of an oddity there uh, in in the Colorado game, but a surprising uh, outcome to me, the way Vegas was able to pour it on the way they did against Dallas, normally a very good defensive group. On the eastern side, we saw two similar games, AJ. There was a 4-1 victory with Philadelphia over Boston and Tampa 3-2 in a shootout over Washington. They're using regular season rules in only the round-robin portion of this this tournament. And uh, while there's not a lot at stake, as you might, as you suggested in terms of these series of games, still the, the teams want to be doing the best they can to for seeding in future rounds. So there is some value in playing well here. And I have to give it up to the Philadelphia Flyers. They looked really good against the Bruins, and the Bruins uh, in two starts there, including their exhibition loss to, to Columbus, have looked brutal. They, they, to me, have looked like the worst team that I've seen in this tournament so far and you wonder if it's are there bumps and bruises there I know that uh, Marshawn is nicked up for instance for Boston but boy that top line hasn't really factored in 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 the two games they've played and uh, the other game Tampa and Washington just makes you salivate over the prospect of two real good teams duking it out over an extended series so that was a real showcase there those are my observations in those games AJ do you have any food for thought in terms of what you saw there I think what was most interesting, you know, you look at a scoreline of, of 4-1 with Philadelphia over Boston, and, and I think you would probably assume that Giroux, Couture, uh, Couture and uh, Konechny were the guys that put up all those goals. But, in fact, they got goals in production from guys like Michael Raffle, Nate Thompson, uh, Philippi Myers, and, and Scott Lawton, who, who is playing, uh, at least heading into that game, was playing a, a second-line role. But, the, the fact of the matter is it's not the top guys on, on either side. You know, it was Chris Wagner that got the goal for Boston there as well. So we haven't really seen the stars in, in, that, uh, in that matchup at least uh, produce. Now, obviously, they'll, they'll be playing different teams as part of this round robin down the stretch. So we'll have to kind of wait and see what they can do in, in their next game here. But I, I think that was the most surprising thing to me uh, is that it wasn't the, the big names that were really producing in, in that contest. AJ, we move on to the uh, look at the Western Conference playoffs, the best of five series. There's four series to go through. Edmonton Oilers versus Chicago Blackhawks in game one. The Hawks came out flying. Six to four was the win in their favor as the number 12 seed rises up to beat the number five seed. But last night, the uh, Monday night, uh, the Edmonton Oilers returned the favor and then some with a resounding 6-3 win. They did make a goaltending change, putting Koskinen in in, in, that, in favor of Mike Smith, who was blitzed in the first game. Uh, and in, a couple of statistical notes of interest in Edmonton, given their great history, uh, we can also point out some records were set in terms of the fact that teammates produced consecutive three-point efforts on consecutive nights in that series. We're talking about, of course, Connor McDavid, who's come out flying. He got a hat-trick last night. He got a goal in the first game, but he's got six points over two games, and uh, six or seven anyway, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins has matched him, and given the glory days of the Oilers included, that's never happened before for Edmonton, so we're watching high-octane offense here, and uh, the goalies are at the mercy of, of sharpshooters on both teams, I don't think this series is, is done uh, yet. Uh, I think Chicago showed a lot. And I want, I want to comment one more t thing, AJ, before I throw it to you. But the players are allowed to wear whatever they want in, in uh, going to these games and so on. They've made that decision. But it was interesting for me to see Jonathan Taves dressed in a suit before game one. And Captain Sirius led by example and on the ice and was the 
top player in that game one and he came to play and he brought a real good attitude and the players followed him and and that went I think it went a long way to sending a loud message in the Chicago dressing room and I applaud him for going that route because much has been made locally here in Toronto about the way some teams are taking this uh, as almost uh, a more casual approach to getting ready for the games and so on a more comfortable approach it's just personal choice but I thought Taves sent a real message and and the Hawks followed suit yeah, I think uh, for me, I, you kind of highlighted that the goaltenders have, have not been performing well here. Um, I, you have to wonder, you know, I don't, I know they don't have a great second option, um, but you have to wonder if we're going to see, uh, you know, uh, Corey Crawford back between the, the nets. He's given up 10 goals uh, at this point and, and really uh, has been, been pretty well shelled uh, from the, from the onset here. And, you know, I, I get it. It's it's Connor McDavid. That guy makes plays uh, that nobody else in the world can make, and and he is one of the top guys. And he came out ready to go last night, and he was going to do everything he could to avoid going down two games to none. And and he clearly did that. But still, there were a couple of things that that happened in that game where uh, I I was surprised that that Crawford you know didn't didn't get hooked. Um, and really, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Obviously, Edmonton made the goalie change, um, but still, you know, Chicago put in plenty, plenty of pucks on on Koskinen too. And we we all knew that going into this matchup that the the weak point for this entire Edmonton team is between the nets. It's why they've been linked to you know various players next season as far as trying to shore up their back end. Because look, if you don't have good net mining, you're just going to continue to waste. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl's, you know, time and 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 their ability to to take this team where they want to go. So, um, Koskinen, I imagine, will start Game Three, uh, and I don't think Chicago really has a better option than Corey Crawford, but uh, they may want to at least consider something. Yeah, but you certainly certainly can expect more goals and and more end-to-end action here because defense has been a rumor in that series to date. We expected a little bit different from the Nashville-Arizona series. They've only played one game there. Arizona came out on fire, AJ, in that game, took took advantage of a quick three-goal start and held on for dear life at the end of it. Uh, Any observations from that, that tilt from you? For me, for instance, I was pretty interested to see Oliver ekman Larson emerge as a dominant force. He played almost 25 minutes in that game and uh, reminded people that he is the, the straw that stirs the drink in terms of defensive offense from the back end. He sc- scored a goal and led a lot of uh, the attack. And the youngsters, Keller and Dvorak, got their first taste of playoff hockey and made good on it with goals from their point of view. Darcy Kemper receding for the win. Nashville with uh, UC Saros taking the start over Pecorini was a bit of a surprise for me. Yeah, again, that's one of those that you, I think, um, you know, maybe based on the end of season play, maybe it's not terribly surprising, but, you know, Pecorini has been your guy for how long, right? Um, I believe uh, I saw that he had done, he had played 89 consecutive playoff games for the Predators and, and really to, to switch it felt uh, a little off to me. And obviously, um, you know, that was the first period it, it showed, you know, Saros, I don't think was, was prepared for this. I, I think on the flip side, what you're encouraged by, yes, Taylor Hall and, and Phil Kessel didn't score goals in that game, but they both had a pair of assists. They're helping uh, their teammates get on the board um, and so really, I, I think it's it's good things for Arizona. That would be my takeaway. Yes, the Predators kind of stormed back. They got things under control after a bad first period. So it's not all doom and gloom for them. But I think if I'm trying to figure out which team should really feel um, you know, better about it and, and in a better position, I think it's, it's Arizona for sure. Not only because they won, but because they're getting production from Kessel, who had a very bad year from Taylor Hall and and starting to really roll at at the right time. And uh, AJ, we expected a heated series with Winnipeg and Calgary. Uh, We didn't expect it to be focused on injuries, but early on the Jets have been decimated. And really the centerpiece of that whole uh, series comes around an incident involving uh, 
their their top player, Mark Scheifele. And uh, you can go into a little bit of detail about that as you take us through your observations of the first two games, and I'll I'll answer that. How about how about your thoughts on on the injury to Scheifele, how it came about, and uh, do you think there's any real culpability there, or was there an accident? Yeah, I mean, it's so hard for me to see something like that and say that, you know, in in that moment, that's exactly what Tuchuk was thinking, to try and, like, you know, run his skate blade across, you know, Shifley's, um, you know, leg. You know, maybe maybe a little bit, he you know, because he does kind of miss him on the hit. So maybe he's trying to just extend his leg to, to catch a piece of him or something there, you know, but, but that's not malicious necessarily. You're just... You're missing on the hit. You're trying to adjust. So for me, I, I know what, you know, Paul Maurice very clearly has vocalized that he felt it was an intentional act um, and, and probably felt that, that Tachuk should get penalized for it or, or suspended. Um, I just, I really struggle with that. In that moment, is a guy really thinking, how do I take Mark Shifley out of the game? And and I know that Tachuk's are, are much maligned by a lot of people and and they play a very physical aggressive style of hockey uh, much like their dad did but to to think that they're out there trying to hurt a guy um, is is a stretch for me but the fact of the matter is Winnipeg really bounced back you know they didn't have Shifley they didn't have Liney to a lesser extent they didn't have Mason Appleton and then they come out and they have a, a you know get the win uh, in a, in a tougher game you know, last night, Adam Lowry chips in for two points. Uh, you've got, you know, Jansen Harkins comes into the lineup, a guy that hadn't played in game one. He gets the opening goal to really energize this group. Um, so obviously that, you know, the biggest concern is whether or not we'll see Shifley or Line again uh, the rest of the way. And, and I think, you know, we haven't heard much in, in terms of an injury to Line. As, as far as it, it, you know, it sounds like a risk, but whether, you know, timeline wise, there's there's not a lot of reports. So we'll kind of just have to wait and see, which is really tough to do. Um, but they've made it a series without those guys. And so I, I think it bodes well for them that they can if they get one or both of those guys back, that that this could be kind of a tide turning moment for Winnipeg after really getting dominated in, in the first game. At least that's how I saw it in game one Paul how about you yeah I agree I think you got to give the Jets a lot of credit for regrouping and rallying around their uh, injury situation and saying look at we got to each play look at look at the opportunity to to pick up some of the slack uh, our leaders down but we got to answer the bell and they certainly did and, and it, to me it begins with with uh, the play and goal of Connor Hellebuck this guy should get the Vezina trophy this year and uh, nothing that he's done uh, in these two games uh, straight from uh, makes me stray from that assessment he's had some difficult chances to deal with and he's had uh, he's been uh, at the top of his game I would say uh, in in each of them despite giving up a total of five goals in the two games so uh, they they do have a bit of an edge in goal I'm sur- I wonder if Calgary does take the opportunity to pivot from Talbot in net and go to big save Dave Riddich in in game three that remains to be seen and uh, we encourage our listeners to take a look at the starting goalie grids uh, uh, all, all, all through the playoffs, but uh, this could be a situation where they do make a change in that regard. Uh, this series has the earmarks of something that's going to go five games, but if, if Winnipeg doesn't get those two players back, Line and uh, Shifley, I don't see how they win it, but I can see them stealing another game at least to take it to the max, and uh, that uh, in and of itself uh, is a pretty great achievement, uh, I would say, given the way this thing has unfolded, but a very emotional series so far, and uh, very compelling to watch. Uh, in terms of Ma- Vancouver and Minnesota, we ex- I expected this to be a close series, but I thought Vancouver and its offense would prevail, and uh, this series remi- uh, looks like the- it's starting like the same as uh, another series we're going to get to on the eastern side in a few minutes, but uh, that game, uh, game one went a 3 nothing victory to Minnesota, and Kevin Fiala continues to do what he does, AJ. This guy was the NHL's most prolific scorer in hockey when uh, when uh, the, the break came and he paced the attack with a goal in that effort and uh, started the scoring but Jared Spurgeon anybody who owns him got a real dividend early on because he got the other two goals including a power play effort and uh, can't sleep on Eric Stahl this guy a couple of years ago uh, 
he had he was still at the top of his game slid a bit this past season but he's a money player and he showed it with a couple of helpers in in game one as well and the shutout of course is a factor in in playoff scoring and Alex Stalock gets credit for that uh, goalie shutouts are a real bonus come playoff time and there were a couple in the opening round uh, of games here and he gets the first one are you expecting Vancouver to bounce back here or did you see anything in that game that tells you that Minnesota has a bit of an edge no, I mean, for me, I, I actually think there, there's something to be said, um, you know, positively for, for Vancouver, other than the lack of scoring very, very, very clearly. But the first two goals both came on the power play. So if I'm the coaching staff, stay out of the freaking box, right? <laughs> probably probably going to use a different four-letter word. But, um, you know, so that's number one. The last goal was, uh, was an empty nutter. So Markstrom made 28 of 30 stops. And, you know, like I said, 27 of 27 at even strength. So he didn't give up any even strength goals. So that's certainly encouraging as well. So uh, for me, you know, it's that is the, the kind of focal point there that look at look at the fact that your netminder did his job for the most part. And if we could have stayed out of the box, then maybe this is a different game. Um, and so uh, I, I think it'll be much closer in, in the next one. I, I think when you look at three nothing, you assume that it was a very one-sided game, and I just don't feel that it was that way. Obviously, Vancouver needs to figure out how to get some points on the board here. Uh, it would help if Anton Roussel didn't spend 10 minutes in the box himself. You know, Michael Furland spent seven. I mean, you've got you know guys that, that don't need to be spending that much time in the box, and, and that means that you're top guys, right? So when you have bottom six guys spending all day in the box, then your top guys can't be on the ice for for five on five or, or power play opportunities. And so, um, again, it's it's a couple of bad mistakes by a couple of bottom guys that that I think really sidetracked this game for uh, for Vancouver. AJ, before we go to the eastern side of the bracket, uh, I want your overall comments on the western side. Do you ex- uh, are there any bits of information that lead you to maybe want to change some of your picks in terms of the series outcomes? Uh, for instance, Edmonton, Chicago, we thought would be a short series, but now I'm a little bit nervous because if they engage in a shootout, the Hawks do have a lot of offensive-minded players there, and uh, and the Edmonton goaltending hasn't been very steady in the first two games. So that's one series I want you to comment on. I already said my piece on Winnipeg-Calgary, but do you have any other observations that tell you this is going to be shorter or longer in terms of any of the individual series there that we've seen unfold so far? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I kind of thought Edmonton, you know, 3-1, which is certainly still possible. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe 3-0 wasn't uh, outside the realm of possibility. That got blown up the first night there. So um, I still think I, I would be surprised at this point, honestly, if Chicago wins another game here. Um, I just don't see it going going the distance to five games. Now, Nashville, Arizona. That certainly could. That's a close series, as we saw from the first game. It's going to be battle. Uh, so that one, I, I expect to go the whole way. Same with Winnipeg, Calgary. Um, and obviously, Vancouver, you know, they're not going to get the sweep at this point as well. But I wouldn't be shocked if they won three straight. If they can find their offense here um, and win the next three to close out the series, I, I certainly wouldn't be surprised by that. All right, let's go over to the eastern side where we have each got a vested interest. And after the first games for each of our clubs, we were both in the dumps. But uh, your team rebounded very nicely last night. AJ, give us your thumbnail on what's happened between Pittsburgh and Montreal so far. See, Paul, I, I hear you there. Thumbnail, you're, you're trying to cue me into keeping it uh, keeping it short and not turning <laughs> this into a Penguins podcast. Um, look, you know, I, overtime is is what it is. You know, I, I think Pittsburgh should have, um, you know, should have avoided that in, in its entirety. Uh, they obviously, they went down two goals early on. So the fact that they fought back and even forced overtime um, in the first place was, was encouraging in, in that game. Uh, I think what, you love to see if you're a Penguins fan, hate to see if you're a Habs fan, is that in game two, Sidney Crosby just came out and said, this one's done, and just came out, scored a goal early on, and then they went to, to work from there. Uh, Matt Murray played probably one of his best games of the entire season uh, in, in game two there after, you know, it, a kind of disappointing first game. And you honestly, I thought maybe – uh, we would see Tristan Jari last night just because it was uh, a pretty 
Um, underwhelming performance. It wasn't bad, but it certainly didn't get the job done, but he came out big time in in that one. I think the concern in Pittsburgh is obviously that Evgeny Malkin uh, doesn't have any any points at this point, uh, at this stage in the game here. Had plenty of shots in the first game, had a few last night as well, but, uh, you know, no production from him. For the Habs, uh, I think you're seeing some of your youngsters really stepping up. You know, Kotaniemi got one uh, last night, the only one last night. You had Nick Suzuki with that snipe over over the, sh- uh, the shoulder in, in game one. And so it's nice if, if you're a fan of, of Montreal to, to see those guys starting to step up. What's a concern to me is the fact that we're still seeing Max Dome playing on a fourth-line role with Jordan Wheel and Dale Weiss. I mean, that one doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I don't know why he's not taking – or they're not giving him more opportunities. Is he just not up to speed after missing part of camp? Um, so I, there's some certainly some question marks there that, uh, you know, if I was a fan, I would really be hoping to get some answers out, out of the coaching staff on why Dome is not playing a bigger role. And, of course, we haven't mentioned Carey Price, and, boy uh – there's an old saying that goalies can swing a series and this guy's doing everything that he can to swing it in favor of the Canadians so he's playing right at the top of his game and good for him but uh, Jeff Petrie is a guy that is a sneaky good DFS play when Montreal suits up AJ it just seems this guy's a real big game player of course he came up with that pivotal goal and I would be remiss if we didn't give a shout out to Daniel Legrano when we talk about Jesperi Kotkaniemi uh, who we've discussed at length with him uh, offline as well in terms of our feelings and versus his this guy's got two goals in two games aj i know one of them went off his noggin uh, in first game but how did he score the second one last night i didn't see the game uh you know i i i apparently blocked it from my memory i didn't <laughs> i didn't uh, i didn't grab that one you know what honestly i think that goal came right about bedtime around here so okay. i was having to kind of watch the game and, and get kids down at the same time unfortunately but you know what uh, i didn't see it uh, here either but uh, what what i can tell you is the guy's got two goals in the bank and that uh, stands him in good stead in terms of the early returns but uh I, I still think they're babying this guy a little bit too much and and i'd like to see him play a more prominent role and maybe with this early success he gets that opportunity he only got 10 minutes of ice time last night aj given the fact that he scored i'd like to see him up closer to about 15 because because they need him to be among their game breakers and give him more opportunities to show that offensive side of the game and maybe after getting the two goals so far you can say he, he should get more of that ice time. I'm I'm with you. I'm confused about the usage of Ty, Dome, uh, Ty Domi's son, Max, uh, so far in this series. Uh, not playing much more than a third, fourth line minutes. Maybe they're concerned about the way he's going to acclimatize to this whole environment is the only suggestion I can make, uh, given that he has the underlying condition with the diabetes. But uh, he made the decision to play, and you would have thought that he did it from a position of being fit and, and ready to go at it's a question mark that that uh, kind of is the, fly, the only fly in the ointment that I see in the Montreal c- circumstance there. They've got to be thrilled that they're even with the Penguins after two games and that they've planted a bit of a seed of doubt uh, as we go forward. In terms of the other, only other series on this side that has gone two games, it's been a, a lopsided one. Uh, Carolina winning two games, first one 3-2 to two, and the second one 4-1. to one. Their big stars have come to play. Ahos, Vechnikov, and Taravainen have terrorized the, the Rangers, and uh, the big guns on the New York side have not responded, and that's the biggest difference here. The question mark that we talked about off the top with Henrik Lundqvist uh, playing both games in the nets for the Rangers. If if this is their way of saying sayonara and giving them a, a farewell opportunity, uh, there it's costing them a playoff round. And and they had two other goalies to choose from. And uh, people are saying Osha Sturkin's not ready to play. Well, he was in the arena, and if he's in the arena, he's healthy to go. Uh, that's not an excuse for me. So I have a real question mark about that. But uh, people who are fans of the Rangers must be wondering where that high-octane offense has disappeared to. And maybe the credit should go to uh, the goaltending and the stout defense of the Carolina Hurricanes. Well, Paul, I'm going to push back on that a little bit. And only because I know Patrick Laine and uh, Mark Shifley were both in the arena uh, last night as well. So obviously, you know, there, there certainly could be something that, that's, that's bothering 
Shesterk in there. I think the biggest message that it sends is that they don't have a lot of faith in Alexander Georgiev. And I would imagine that he, uh, you know, if it's not Lundqvist because of the, the big contract, then, then maybe it's Georgiev who's on the trade block uh, this upcoming season because, they, to your point, they at least for sure had him healthy and available. Um, I'll just uh, toss in there. I pulled it up. Caught to Niemi's goal was uh, he picked up a rebound in front of the net. So good on him going hard to the net and, and uh, finding finding that loose puck there. So, um, But, yeah, back to the, the Carolina Rangers series, I think the fact is you're getting solid net minding uh, from Peter Mrazek, who, who's really stepped up. You've got an offensive uh, line in, in Svechnikov and Teravainen uh, and Aho that's really clicking on, on all cylinders. Um, you know, their, their blue line hasn't done a ton early on, but um, it's been good enough to, to help them win games. And so there's really nothing going wrong, for lack of a better term, with this team uh, that, that would have me thinking anything other than uh, they're going to win tonight as or today as well. I think the one question I maybe have is whether or not um, – you know, whether or not Mrazic starts, it's, it is a back to back, um, you know, but to your point earlier, Paul, they don't have to travel. So you would think that, that he could, that Mrazic certainly could play in a back to back. Um, it's not like you necessarily want to save him for another game, because if you win tonight, that's a series and you'll have plenty of rest after that. So, I mean, I expect we'll see Mrazic, but certainly, um, you know, maybe not. And, and I think the same can be said. I didn't mention this for, for Winnipeg, Calgary, they're playing again today. So, I imagine we'll see Hellebuck, but maybe we see Laurent Brassois. Maybe that's a good reason to switch over to Dave Riddich. Uh, so, so definitely things to watch over on Rotowire in, in terms of net minding. Yeah, and I did say that the big stars of the Rangers weren't doing a lot. I, I should amend that and say Panarin has looked good, uh, scoring in points in both games. Zibanejad has had his moments, but was shut out in the second game. But beyond that, they're getting nothing from the likes of uh, Strom, and uh, Kreider, I think I expect more more for them. Strom had one assist in the games, but a nice play. But he, other than that, he and Kreider, who are team leaders here, have been uh, MIA from my point of view. And uh, certainly the goaltending, it's held them back as well, as I said. Uh, in terms of the uh, Islanders-Florida ser- series, we've only seen one game in that series. And predictably, it, in my mind, it was a low-scoring affair. The Islanders winning that one 2-1, to one, A.J., have you got any thoughts on on what transpired in that particular outing that that you can share and then i'll rebut yeah i think you know the the good thing uh, good things that you're seeing from the islanders is is production from from multiple players and that's what it's going to take for this team that as we said is relatively you know they don't have a, a big star necessarily um they did get production out of pajot who was their their uh, trade deadline acquisition. Devin Taves picks up a point to add some blue line scoring there as well. You know, and honestly, watching that game, uh, I know he made uh, you know uh, decent, you know, 26 of 28 saves, um, but Bobrovsky just did not look comfortable to me. He didn't look set, and I kind of felt like he was all over the place in that game. And so, from from a Florida standpoint, that's that's a big concern for me, obviously. Um, you know, their, their one goal came from the combination of Huberto and Barkov, which is exactly what you would want. I think if they're going to get past the Islanders, they're going to need production out of Dadenoff and Hoffman as well. Um, and then their defense, you know, didn't, um, they had some, some shots, some hits, but Yandel and Ekblad didn't do anything offensively either, which, which is a concern there. Um, so I, I think we'll be in for a close series to your point. I don't expect a, a ton of goals every night. Um, but certainly, you know, considering he only gave up two goals, I, I just didn't feel like Bobrovsky looked very good in that game. You know what? I echo those sentiments, and I'm surprised that they only he only gave up two the way he looked to me. Exactly what you, you said. And even we didn't compare notes on this, so uh, interesting that we both feel the same way. And it just goes hand in glove with what we saw to him for much of the season. He's got to step it up and find that that better level of play otherwise i think i think the panthers are in trouble here i think the islanders could could uh, even sweep them if if the if that trend doesn't get changed because i think uh, bobrovsky was lucky that he only gave up two goals against and the islanders we know that can play uh, that button down defensive style and uh, i i think 
Panthers can't afford any softies uh, from their goalie. So that'll be something that we're both going to keep an eye on going forward. And you wonder where the, the stars are going to come from this series because other than that top line in uh, Florida, uh, there's a lot of guys that are kind of second-tier players uh, outside of maybe Matthew Barzell on the other side for the Islanders. So uh, we're looking for a hero here, and we'll be sure to talk about that one or two players that emerge this time next week that when that series is done. And that leaves us one more series to talk about. That's the Toronto Maple Leafs against Columbus Blue Jackets. Look, like I said to you when we started this show, before we started this show, I waited four months to see my team play a playoff game, and they didn't show up in game one. The only offensive player that did anything positive to me was uh, Austin Matthews, and he had been maligned and even implicated uh, with the the COVID virus uh, weeks before this whole thing started. So uh, he was maybe the last of the big stars that I thought would be the the most dominant player for the Leafs. They didn't get anything from Tavares and Marner and company on that second unit, and that's really the, the line that should really tip the scales in their favor, in my estimation. Full marks for the Columbus Blue Jackets and the way they played this game, AJ, they they dictated the pace and they had their linchpins on defense play upwards of 25 minutes each. I want you to speak to that uh, dynamic duo on the blue line and uh, the goaltending effort that backstopped this win. Well, first, I'll touch on Toronto. I, I think the best player on the ice for the, the Maple Leafs was Freddie Anderson. And yeah. to, to face the number of shots that he did um, and, and only give up one, I know, you know, again, 2-0 scoreline, but um, one of those was a, an empty nutter at the end. He made 33 saves, a .971 save percentage, and I, I thought he was the best player for them all night. And he just didn't get any help, to your point, about, you know, the, the stars didn't show up. Uh, when they needed to on the flip side you know we talk all the time about Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski in terms of their offensive game and rightfully so they they combined for 71 points in the regular season Seth Jones was out there just crushing guys seven hits uh, in that game as you said both played north of 25 minutes they saw uh, you know they they put both those guys out with the number one power play unit one of the few teams in the league that puts two defenders out um, for for a top power play unit, they didn't get a ton of opportunities, just under three minutes um, in ice time there, which is probably why they didn't get on the board. And it was really the that first line. You know, I I look at Pierre Luc Dubois and Oliver Borkstrand and whoever else plays with them as, as the first line for Columbus, in, in my opinion. But uh, technically on the depth chart, it was Atkinson and Wenberg, and those guys stepped up with you know with both of the goals. Atkinson had an assist on on the second Wenberg goal there. Nick Foligno picked up an assist uh, on that one too. So they got the production they needed out of their their team. And look, I think if you if this happens again, if Toronto goes uh, the first period without scoring a goal, I would be real worried that they're not going to get one the rest of the night because if this was a waiting game, I think for for Columbus. No goals in the first, that's a win for Columbus. No goals in the second, that's a one period for Columbus. And it was just about biding their time, finding the opportunity to get a goal. And it came earlier in the third. And I honestly, you could have turned the game off at that point to me. I didn't think you were going to see anything else. And really, you didn't. The empty netter came uh, to seal it in, in the closing minutes there. Yeah, the Leafs didn't even get a shot on goal in the last seven minutes of that game to underscore your uh, thoughts on the way Columbus really shut things down. But they dictated the pace here, AJ. And and I know you coach hockey, and I know that we think the same way in terms of if you're facing a star defenseman on the other team, you want to make him work more in his own end, right? So I can't understand why the Leafs didn't play that dump and chase game they stuck to what they did most of the season here in terms of trying to carry the puck over the blue line and trying to beat five players in the neutral zone. Almost impossible when, when Columbus is playing as tight as they were. And on the flip side, you saw what Columbus was doing on the forecheck. They threw the pucks in deep, and they got to them before a lot of Leaf defenders too. So they were charging in offensively, and they were clog- clogging up the neutral zone defensively, and they were not challenged in their own end like I think the Leafs can do. I mean... I, I mean you mentioned uh, the point about Seth Jones with seven hits. The Leafs can uh, can certainly play a little more physical than they did in the first game. I'm not going to suggest to you they're a physical team, but basically playing takeout hockey when you're on the forecheck, you throw a guy in deep, 
to take out the man. Doesn't have to be a thundering check, but just get in his way, impede his progress, and have a second guy there. They didn't do that at all. They're trying to be too fancy in the neutral zone, and, and this is playoff hockey where you've got to roll up your sleeves and play the game, and we're going to see if this team can do so. If they don't, there could be some serious decisions made in the offseason here. That's what's at stake in Toronto, in, in, in my opinion, uh, in this series. Now, AJ, we are thrilled to get back to a FanDuel segment. I know that we've been waiting to do this for a while, and we got to do it tonight. There's, today, there's a slate of six games, and we're going to talk about the fact that Florida t- kicks it off against the Islanders at 12, Arizona versus Nashville, 2.30, the Leafs and Columbus tangle at 4, Calgary, Winnipeg, 6.45, Carolina Rangers, 8 o'clock. Minnesota, Vancouver, 10.45. So that means from noon today, Eastern time, to just past 1 o'clock in the morning, I could be in front of a TV set. And this, <laughs> it's fantastic. But tell us again the, the wonders of the Rotowire lineup optimizer and what it does and what it spits out for tonight's action. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the optimizer, you know, we, we're going to talk all day slate here. Uh, in terms of our picks, but there's an optimizer for the main slate, the early only slate, the after hour slate. So if you want to play those kind of smaller chunks, those those two game chunks or the, the main slate is three games starting with Calgary, Winnipeg, uh, we have an optimizer for you. If you want to dive in to s- the single game contest, you know, I'm, I might have to take a look at that Columbus Toronto single game there. Uh, stack Stack the blue jackets against your Leafs and I, I expect that'll be a bit of a contrarian play, and, and maybe it'll work out in a, a GPP. But they've got an optimizer for that, an optimizer for Minnesota, Vancouver. Um, so whatever games you want to play, Rotowire has an optimizer for for FanDuel and and some of the others as well. Uh, in terms of that all day slate, um, you know the the basic the nice part. What I use the optimizer for is I lock in a couple of guys that I like, and then go from there. We've got. Um, feature articles that come out for for FanDuel every day that make some recommendations. So you can pick a, a couple of those uh, and and ride it from there. Uh, lock those guys in and, and build your lineup around it. But if you want to take the straight optimizer recommendations, uh, here's what we got for you. It starts off uh, with Austin Matthews paying up the 8,500 to get him in the lineup tonight. Vinny Trocheck as the number two guy. Um, at, at 5100, I, I love that call. I, I think Trocheck uh, is a is a fantastic player, um, and and really, uh, I I expect them to find ways to produce with with this team, and and maybe the thing that gets Carolina going further than they have the last couple of years. In terms of wingers, uh, it's a couple of big names, and and really no no value picks necessarily from the optimizer here. It's got Taylor Hall up top, 7400. Jonathan Huberdeau at 7,300, Phil Kessel at 6,100, and then I wouldn't even really deem this a value play, but Justin Williams at 4,200. Yes, he's playing a third-line role, but we've got him slotted in as a number one power play guy, um, and so that's that's kind of where the optimizer's pulling that one for him. Um, you know, all these guys are, are in competitive games that, that I expect – um, could have a, a decent amount of goals. Uh, I, I like all these picks, really. You know, sometimes the optimizer spits some out that I question, which is why we allow you to exclude guys from the optimizer. You can can take them out if you, if you don't like a pick. On the back end, Seth Jones, who we talked about, coming in at five thousand, it, it's towards the top end, but he's certainly not the most expensive D man you'll see out there. And then Jacob Chisholm. At 3,700, uh, again, a guy that's going to get some minutes with the second power play unit for Arizona. The optimizer does round out a full uh, full stack here with uh, with the Yotes and, and has Darcy Kemper between the the pipes, 6,700. Uh, certainly, uh, after the the early game, I, I can't argue with that play. Um, you know, I I if you told me you were going to stack Nashville instead of Arizona, I could see that as well. I think. You're going to have to kind of pick on that game uh, which way you want to go and can make valid, valid arguments either way. So, Paul, uh, what did you spit out for, for today? Well, first I want to comment, AJ, about that lineup and the Arizona stack. It just tells you how uh, the tournament play might be the way to go in, in, uh, in FanDuel in the early rounds of the playoffs because if you get the right stack, it can pay off huge. And, and I mean, the Arizona stack against Nashville is not the most likely to be the most owned stack on today's slate so if it comes out 
in favor of what the rotowire optimizer has spit out here, that could be a real nice payoff, uh, I think. So that's just an indication of how things can go if you get the right three or four guys from from one team to to go nuts i mean last night we had the edmonton duo have big evenings and that if you've had those guys in your lineups i'm sure most people a lot of people had uh, had mcdavid but i wonder how many had rnh in there for example but if you got both of them in there that's three point nights for both of them and that that would certainly lead you to the winner's circle uh, because you would have probably put them with the goalie as well so uh, edmonton stack would have worked last night and if the arizona stack comes out the same way today that'll put you in the winner's circle as well what i tried to do today was look at the teams that are desperate aj and for me it that's why uh, that's the main reason why i picked the leaf game leaf uh, team here and i went with the complete uh, second line of Tavares. Mikheyev and Marner, they were embarrassed in the first game. And I think uh, Tavares particularly is a guy that can rally that trio. And uh, I know Marner is a guy that plays with pride. And Mikheyev, a rookie who's excelled uh, this season, and uh, it's great to see him come back healthy. He comes back at $3,800 tonight, which is a screaming hot value if the other two guys can pull their weight. This makes it an affordable trio to get in your lineup for less than 20 grand overall, so that you still have money to spend. And uh, maybe the most impressive offensive player uh, so far in, in uh, the games that I've seen is Sebastian Ajo, AJ. So I was pretty pumped to be able to get him in the lineup here, and I put his line mate, Tara Vinen, in there as well. Tara Vinen, a uh, bit of a discounted value at $6,100 because he hasn't scored like Zvechnikov and Ajo so far in these games, but he's been party to to their dominance and so I think he gets rewarded on the game sheet today so that rounds out pretty much most of my offense the only other piece that I need to talk about uh, among the wingers is Brock Besser a sniper with Vancouver uh, only at $5,400 I think Vancouver is a team much much like the Leafs uh, AJ that needs to answer the bell and it's their offensive players their leaders and Besser is certainly one of them uh, his average 12.69 fan duel points per game should be able to achieve that if he has a decent outing this evening. On the back end, you know that Alex Edler is a favorite of mine when it comes to DFS play because I th- still think he's one of the more underrated power play quarterbacks in the league and behind a pretty good group of forwards up front and $4,300 the price tag. I think that's a very good value there. Sammy Vatnan has been outstanding uh, since joining Carolina and uh, in the early games of this series continued that trend and I get him for sub $5,000 as well as he figures to be the power play linchpin with Dougie Hamilton on the sidelines there too so two power play quarterbacks for a total of $8,900 great value for me and I'm looking for uh, Jacob Markstrom to to get uh, a little more offensive support than he did in the first game and receipt for the win for Vancouver. So I got a Vancouver stack and a Toronto stack uh, and a couple of guys from Carolina in my uh, lineup. Not spreading the offense, uh, spreading the picks too wide in terms of the number of teams. I wonder if you strayed from that or did you do some stacks yourself? Yeah, I definitely stacked as well. It's 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 a, a win big, lose big proposition, right? You know, that's that's the thing is... <laughs> Um, you know, when you stack guys like this, if you hit it, you hit it. If you don't, uh, you're, you're pretty much sunk. And it's definitely a strategy more geared towards GPP than, than cash games here. Um, because, you know, in cash games, you, you want the guys that kind of consistently produce, the kind of even, even road um, just to get yourself into the top half. You don't need to come in first place. Um, but in GPP, we're all chasing that, that big payout and uh, in, in trying to net something there. So I did. Uh, I went with a Vancouver stack as well. I went with some different guys than you. I, I, a little more offensively focused here. I took their first line. You can get uh, Elias Pettersson in at 6,800, JT Miller at 6,800, and then Tyler Toffoli coming in at 5,500. Um, and I, I like that it's it's not too high, not too low in terms of you know who you can fit in there. Uh, I did take an, another center. I went with Eric Halla at 3,900. He's going to be their second-line center tonight um, based on early returns. We'll, we'll see how that all pans out, you know, because I know Vinny Trocek could be in the mix for that spot as well. Um, but he comes in at just 3,900. So as long as Hall is playing top six minutes uh, at 3,900, I think he's a real value to build out kind of a top-end lineup. And the reason I need that extra money 
is that I'm stacking two of the guys uh, from Winnipeg's top line, and, and that's Kyle Connor and Blake Wheeler. If they're going to win today, it's going to be on the backs of those guys, absolutely. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, uh, when positional changes happen, you know, Cop isn't available as a center on FanDuel right now, even though that's where he's playing. Um, so I couldn't get all three guys in, uh, but but I like uh, Connor and Wheeler there. On the back end, uh, I am going to go with Zach Wierenski. We talked about that that dynamic duo being, you know, kind of top end guys who can, uh, you know, offensively gifted and, and play on that top uh, power play unit. And then, look, I, I'm not just doing this to, to, to break your balls here, Paul, but I am going to use Jake Gardner tonight. <laughs> Comes in 4,100. Look, he has logged the most power play minutes of anybody with Carolina, any defenseman with Carolina at this point. So he's seeing plenty of opportunities. He hasn't scored yet, uh, and I get that. But if you look at, uh, you know, on the optimizer or on the value port report, we have projected ownership, and we're showing him to come in at less than 4% ownership in this in this contest tonight. And, and maybe I'm tipping my hand too much in terms of this pick, but a guy that's playing on the power play, getting minutes with those top guys, he's going to get a point eventually. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen here tonight. And when you've got a guy that's going to potentially come in at less than 5% ownership, that puts you ahead of the game in terms of these GPP contests. So I, I'm going to use him, Paul, and, and it's not just because uh, I like to give you a hard time about him. <laughs> well, uh, I, I love the pick. I love the pick. <laughs> in, the, in the Nets, I, I'm right there with you. Jacob Markstrom comes in at a relatively good value uh, today in, in terms of the net minding, and I think you know he had a good game. I, I think there's no arguing that, uh, at least in, in my opinion, you know, he's pretty far down there compared to, um, you know, Pekka Rene, if, if he starts, Cam Talbot, Freddie Anderson, Simeon Varlamov, uh, all ahead of him. So I, I think a good value for a guy that, uh, you know, had a good game and potentially could get a win tonight. AJ, it was so much fun to do a, a FanDuel segment, and I got a kick out of your Gardner pick, no question about that. But I, I don't mean to malign the guy any more than I have in the past, but you made a great case for him. And, and it's doing the research that that we both try to do on these FanDuel picks that you go into the games feeling really good about what you've done but it can go up in flames really quickly and and you can get eliminated if you got the wrong stack but if you got the right one you can give yourself a pat on the back so i hope we get both get a chance to do that at some point very early on to build our own personal momentum going forward beyond that though do you have any final thoughts about what we've seen so far and just how great it is to have hockey back on and looking like this is going to go go the distance yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome having hockey on all day. I, I know I, I, I hate to, you know, rub this in our, our listeners' face, but fortunately you and I kind of get paid to do this. So, you know, it's part of my job to watch hockey when there's daytime hockey. Um, so it's it's great having that on and, and available to watch right now, you know, while I'm working and, and basically watching for, for news that comes out of these games. So, um, I'm excited about it. I'm very interested to see, as always, who the netminders are um, tonight, especially that we have two games that, that uh, you know, four teams that are coming in on a back-to-back. I, I was surprised that the NHL went that route in, in terms of these early games, but they need to put something on the, on the TV. You don't want to have a lull in days. And I also like the fact that all of our games today – are competitive games you know no round robins on the schedule today um so there there's meaning to these contests and i do think we've potentially seen the last of the new york rangers today well and i echo that sentiment i certainly hope that the leafs answer the bell but aj i i think the round robin games teams that are in those should be taking them a little more seriously than it looks like a couple of teams are in terms of the way they're deploying their starting goalies or or just their overall performance i'm thinking about you the boston bruins uh, i didn't like the way they played in that first game and even in their exhibition uh, against columbus to me they've looked like the poorest team in this whole setup uh, of all the teams that I've seen, including the New York Rangers. I think the, the, the Bruins have been particularly disinterested uh, in, in showing their true colors so far. And maybe they're a team that can flip the switch and get it going when it, when it really matters. They're a veteran squad, and so their fans are going to tell me for sure they can do it. But uh, I know that it's not as easy as that, and uh, their coaching staff has to be wringing their hands a little bit about what they've shown particularly. So I'd like to see uh, more games like that 
Tampa 3-2 win over Washington in the shootout. That was, that was a tour de force by both clubs and what you expect when two powerhouse clubs get together and play a true playoff-style hockey game at a very high level. That was exceptional to watch by comparison. The uh, eight series that are going on in terms of teams that really have something more at stake that provided some surprises early on and uh, the dictating style of styles of play certainly the key uh, factor in a number of those outcomes and you wonder if the teams that lost games uh, to those uh, prevailing uh, styles of play will will rebound and so that rain remains to be seen but partner it's been fun to watch so far so uh, again one fo- one more thought from you and then we'll wind it up I mean, yeah, just, uh, you know, hockey, hockey is back and, and it's great to, to be playing DFS. Um, you know, like I said, off the top, we have articles, uh, across the board. Um, you can head over to, to my Twitter to, to find the one that I wrote. I'll be doing that article all week. Um, so with, with picks and recommendations for that, obviously we, we do the FanDuel one, uh, here on the show, but, um, yeah, just a, a great uh, bunch of tools available and, and awesome to be able to, to talk hockey and, and really look at, uh, at some actual games. All right, that wraps up this episode of the podcast with Statsman and AJ. Our next show tentatively scheduled to take place next Tuesday. Lots of hockey to be played between now and then. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to podcasts to get our tips to stay ahead of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.